Obesity danger rivals smoking. Fatties cause global warming. You can't escape the headlines about our weight. The UK, it seems, is in the middle of an obesity epidemic. I'm Liz Pearson, and in this week's Moments in Medicine, I'll be talking to Professor Jaya Henry and Dr Elizabeth Hurran from Oxford Brookes University to find out whether fat really is just a 21st century issue. It's lunchtime for a class of 13-year-olds. With so many headlines, I was interested in talking to them to see what they thought was an ideal body shape. Our age are 10. Our age 8 to 10. I'm a size 12. All my friends are size 8s, and when you go shopping with them, it's like they're all trying on 8s, and you're like, never tell anyone my weight. The way that we've looked at and understood fat has changed quite a lot over time. Dr Elizabeth Hurran is a senior lecturer in the history of medicine, and she knows that the way the children see size isn't unusual, at least for today. But she says in the past, when food was scarce, we saw fat very differently. If we take an example of Baron von Schweinitz, who was a 17th century traveller who came over from Germany, and he was quite shocked when he came over, and he said that the English are very fat. But he meant it actually as a compliment, because it meant that in comparative terms to Europe, the English were actually better fed, they seemed to survive the sort of common diseases, smallpox, measles, fevers. So it was actually seen very positively. Well, I think the perception and its impact may be a 21st century problem, but I think it's been with us for millennia. Professor Jaya Henry agrees that we've always had fat in the population. He's an expert in nutrition and is leading research in how to tackle the UK's obesity problem at Oxford Brookes' newly established Functional Food Centre. His research spans human eating habits over thousands of years. If you look at the historical diets going back to the time of when they were hunter-gatherers, we would have had times of famine and feasting. So it would have been an enormous advantage to be overweight and obese in the past because you could then buffer yourself in times of food deficit. In fact, he says, a bit of weight was necessary to keep the population going. Women in particular had to be slightly overweight, even to begin to menstruate. You couldn't menstruate if you were skinny, because that's how the metabolic sequence went, and for pregnancy and lactation. So therefore, our evolutionary advantage was to be fat, but fit. Do you think it's possible to be fat and fit? No, no got a lot of excess weight then it means you've been eating badly like it doesn't come from nowhere you can tell that they're not following what they should be and then that they're not healthy so you'd say that if they were overweight they couldn't be fit no to see fat as unfit is a relatively new phenomenon much of the world's population still doesn't have enough food unlike in britain fat can be a desirable look I think in many parts of the third world to be a fat bride tells you something very important to the, to the bridegroom, that you're wealthy, that you're well-endowed, both physically and metaphorically. In fact, there are some countries in West Africa, particularly Cameroon, where the women are fed like force-feeding geese before marriage. So how did we in the West follow a path away from this idea that fat was good? Elizabeth Huron explains. Well, in the 18th century, they were aware of obesity. And whilst being corpulent was celebrated, and it was we begin to see the beginning of diet books and doctors saying we really have to change our regimen which is basically lifestyle you need to have more exercise you need to not eat such rich food we need more balance essentially what's happened in the 20th century is that we've come back to that 
We've come back to that idea because it seems it was lost, and that happened through a series of what were, for the time, social advances. I think the big change comes at the late 18th, early 19th century. There are three things that we do in our diet that bring us to where we are today. The first thing is that we begin to eat white bread. Now, the problem with white bread is, as we know today, it's high calorific value. There's very little fibre in white bread, which is also not good. Thirdly, you will put on lots and lots of fat. The second trend is sugar. Then the third thing that we start to buy into are fancies. Cakes, sweets, and interestingly, fish and chips. We also start to have street vendors. So we have the beginnings of the takeaway food that you can So we've buy. got bad food that's very easily accessible and that suddenly we can afford and that is fashionable. So there's almost nothing to prevent people actually piling on the pounds. Yes, exactly. Another key change was the Industrial Revolution, which altered the way people lived and, consequently, attitudes to size. For example, field work declines. Now, you need a lot of energy to work a long day in a field. As people come off the land and they come into urban areas, then you see that people actually need less calorific food just when they're eating more calorific food. And although... Class is a word that historians are always wary of engaging with. It, it would be true to say that in general the rich are now becoming thin and the middling and the lower are becoming larger. Obesity per se, I think, is an issue and a problem that is really taking a frontal stage in our Western culture, but it's a kind of like a, like a sea of, of change moving to other parts of the world. Jaya Henry has seen plenty of evidence that obesity isn't restricted to Europe and the United States. It's surprisingly, increasingly a large problem in many developing countries. In fact, in many parts of Latin America and even indeed India and, and China. It is a growing problem, partly because of these countries having access to greater amounts of food and the kind of food that they're consuming is what you might call euphemistically Western types. We are, as a society, growing less and less physical activity. And also we're eating the kind of food that are high in energy density that has never been a part of our human history. Do you know about different energies, for example, a digestive biscuit versus a jacket potato? Which one... What do you think has got more energy? Jacket. Chocolate, chocolate biscuit. Chocolate biscuit has more energy, but no, it kind of... No, a jacket a, potato does. A digestive biscuit. Versus a jacket That's potato. sweet and sugar, isn't it? Yeah. And jacket potato's got potato and nutrients in it. It's not an easy question, but Jaya Henry has the answer. Two hand-sized potatoes, baked potatoes, have the same energy as a digestive biscuit. That tells you the mismatch between our understanding of food density and energy density. But the real challenge is that basically we are neurologically networked to eat high-fat foods because remember that we are product of the past. And in the past, as a hunter-gatherer, you had scarce resources and therefore your intent was to eat high-fat foods because they were full of energy, but that brain network is still with us. So... Yes, it's much easier for me to advocate to the, to the consumer, eat low-fat foods, but it's a huge challenge to understand how to dissociate your psychology from your physiology.
we have to concede that we have got an obesity crisis. What we need to understand is how we regulate food, how we manage food, how we still enjoy it, but how we work with what food does to us, given the lifestyles that we've got. Please remember that if you are fat and fit, there is no or little increase in risk.